What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason Mann, and today I am pleased to have the hosts of the Gilly Departed NBA Podcast, Disciples of Clyde, Dan Filowitz and Kenneth Drews. Welcome, gentlemen. Good to be here, uh, Jason. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Jason. Really, really fun to be back to have the microphone in my hand. Thank you. So we are uh, going to talk about uh, Lynn Sanity. It has been five years since Jeremy Lynn uh caused a fervor with the Knicks and uh, in 12 starts he averaged 2.25 points 8.7 assists the Knicks were 9 and 3 during that stretch uh, turning around the team that had uh, struggled uh, despite having uh, having added Carmelo Anthony recently having Amari Stoudemire and Tyson Chandler and being coached by Mike D'Antoni and this really became the central story of the NBA during that time and really a major national news story in a way the NBA rarely is uh, also, you know, a, a feel-good story coming off a contentious NBA lockout. Um, uh, so for you guys, you know, we're now, now looking at this from the lens of five years past. What does the Linsanity time period mean to you? Well, for me personally, and pardon me, Dan, uh, I'm used to interrupting Dan, so he doesn't mind, uh, is, no. that, uh, <laughs> is that I, I loved the fact that you got to got there's so many of these guys who were good in college or were good in Europe or were streetball legends, whatever, you know, array for Alston types. I like seeing everybody get their shot. And if you knew that, you know, Jeremy Lin was on a 10 day contract, uh, spent some of that 10 days not playing. And then sort of Mike D'Antoni just sort of shrugged his shoulders and said, well, you're going to get released. I think it was like a day or something after, uh, it was at one of the big games. I believe it was the net game when he actually got all those minutes, but it was, or the Houston game a couple days before. But the idea that a guy like that just got a shot, and because he's really good at getting to the hole and finishing, he did some memorable, interesting stuff. And I, I just like that a guy like that gets on the floor in the first place and gets a chance to do whatever it is that he's good at, be it a rebounder, be it a passer, be it a, an enforcer, whatever it would be. So that's how I felt at the time. And it, it was just exciting to see him do it so well. Yeah, I, I think... Um... If you're asking how I feel about it now, in retrospect, you know, I think it's just, uh, you know, an, another nice thing that the Knicks managed to ruin. <laughs> you know, the, the uh, everything while it was happening, it was, you know, there was all this just like, it was just purely joyful and, and hopeful because there was this guy that no one expected much out of. And, you know, he, he knew he could play if you, you saw him a little bit in college and you 
you know, it was cool, like Ken said, to see a guy get a shot, but just the fact that he was doing it, like doing so well, and it kept going, like that was, you know, like it, you know, it wasn't just one or two games because you know, the NBA is full of you know random, random guys having one or two games that are awesome. Like he kept doing it for for weeks, and it just like felt like it was never going to end. So in, in the moment, it's just like I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening to us. Uh, but then you know, it all ended in, in basically nothing. So I mean, not much, not much good has happened since then. And uh, that's what you kind of remember, like oh, you know, we're still. We still have Carmelo Anthony and not much else. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost the exact same situation uh, that, uh, yeah. So that, that it yeah. also what you're left with in, in retrospect, obviously, is, you know, they were good the next year completely without him. And uh, it's been nothing since, you know, he's obviously a good player. And, and I think they probably would have been been well off having him for the last five years or having him as an asset back in 2012. But it really is. It's It was sort of an ephemeral, you know, uh gather your rosebuds while you may and that was it it ended <laughs> here we are five years later with gray hair <laughs> yeah uh, so what do you remember like a first moment where you realized like oh like this is really you know just just a special you know um not you know once every few years kind of you know thing that really is capturing people's attention in a um you know an, an unusual way the, the game against the Lakers, because I was thinking that was like the best team that they had played at the time and that he was, that he was still able to do it like that. Yeah. And that people had started to notice that he was that he was playing this well with a handful and, of ridiculous finishes during that game, too. I mean, he had he had five or six in that game, just uh, reverses, spin moves, everything. I mean, he it was just an exciting game in addition to having 38 points and. I got the box score in front of me here. I mean, it was just a, he was great production wise, but also aesthetically in that game. Yeah. It was, you know, when you knew that they were going to actually like try to stop him and they couldn't, and it was again, against a good team. Like that was, uh, yeah, kids, the, the Lakers used to be good. Don't, don't forget. Uh, it wasn't, <laughs> that, all... wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that, that was sort of where it felt like, okay, this, this is something a little different than just, uh, you know, random guy X having a couple of good games. It, that what I remember too from that game is that also I think beforehand, like I guess the it was that situation where he had kind of set the league on fire, and the reporters were asking all the big players at the time. You know, uh, LeBron, Kobe Bryant, who at the time was super high profile still. Uh, they had asked, "Have you have you heard of this Jeremy Lin guy?" And he said. Well, I heard of him. Like, what's he doing? And some reporter says to him, he's averaging 28-6 after whatever, how many games it was. And Kobe's kind of like eyebrows went up. Oh, well, I do that for, I do that all the time. <laughs> Not a big deal to me. But then he went out and did it. And and uh, I agree, that was a memorable game. Um, for me, it went back. Uh, I had wanted them to have him on. I knew they had him on a 10-day contract. And that, uh, because I follow these geeky things, you know, I read the, the posting and toasting blog and other things like that. And I knew that from watching him at summer league that he could get to the dish at least. And the Knicks never have a guy who could do that and still haven't. I, I mean, uh, and that, uh, well, actually they have Derek Rose sticks, but, uh, who can do that one thing. But what I noticed is, okay, get him on the floor. He can actually do something pass to, to cutting teammates, whomever. And then, so he got a couple, get, got a, a run against Houston, a little run against Boston, and then against uh, against the Nets, he had a good game. And then what it really took fire for me was 
I remember it was the night before the, the same day as the Super Bowl was the next game, Utah. And I remember putting a joke on Twitter. I'm really excited about tomorrow. Uh, not about the Super Bowl, and I'm a lifelong Giants fan, but about Jeremy Lin. And I actually was excited not to thinking what would happen, but then he went out and kicked the crap out of the Utah Jazz. And that, for me, was like, oh, he actually jumped into the narrative and, and pushed it forward, and that got really exciting for me. And then that was the beginning of the week, and he kind of, by the end of the week, he was a national phenomenon. Yeah, and it was that Jazz game. Yeah, that was his first start, and uh, Mello was injured in that game, and uh, Amari was out, I believe, because of his, his older brother had passed away, and he had 28-8 in that game, and yeah. that, that was the game afterward where Mike D'Antoni said he intended to ride Lynn like freaking secretariat. So uh, showing the confidence that D'Antoni had in – him and it's interesting because you know that's really the only time where the Knicks made sense in the the way that we expect a Mike D'Antoni team to make sense. Well, that's the uh, sad part. He only got a couple weeks of of whatever it was he wanted to do, and uh, you know not that it would have lasted in that at that degree if he didn't get hurt. But the sad thing is he never really got a point guard who could get around people and hit cutters, hit people on the pick and roll. Uh, and you know, if you recall then, like Tyson Chandler was having a ball, was getting a lot of dunks and lobs, Jared Jeffries at the time, you know, they added J.R. Smith sort of halfway into insanity. So it, it, it's a shame that Dan, that's all Dan Tony got for all the years he was there and shepherding them from the end of the Stefan Marbury era through the, the failed free agency time through that time, through that first year with Amari when things were kind of fun and Danilo Gallinari and Wilson Chandler and then they traded everyone for Mello. Really, we got like two months of, of that team playing like D'Antoni wanted to play and then two years later we had, you know, a seven, eight games of Mike D'Antoni coaching Lynn. So that was, it's a little sad, especially when you see what he's doing with actual players now. You know, whenever he's had actual players who can run his system, they're pretty prolific and fun. Yeah, and it's kind of the culmination of, um, as you talked about, this really uh, kind of the first time that the Knicks actually embraced a tear down and rebuild. I mean, it was for the, um, you know, it was primarily for free agency. It wasn't really building through young players, although, you know, Landry Fields had a nice rookie season. Iman Shumpert was a rookie this year, and it, it was showing some signs of spunk and some pretty good uh, defense yeah. there. As you mentioned, the, the point guard um, situation was not great. They had uh, uh, Tony Douglas, uh, who did not fit Mike D'Antoni's system at all, uh, Mike Bibby, who was ancient, and uh, Baron Davis, who was old and injured. So, um, I, there was definitely a, a, a gap to fill, but you, you could see, you know, the, the promise of the team as they were developing under D'Antoni, you mentioned that one year with Amari, the first year he came and was their big free agent acquisition and, and, and became kind of a, a cult favorite because, you know, he was the guy who chose to go there. Um, but at this point was, was starting to show the signs of, you know, the injuries that would eventually, um, you know, reduce his effectiveness. Uh, Carmelo, you know, was, was the big star on the team and, but they had, as, as you talked about gutted the team, you know, a, a fun team with, you know, Gallinari and Chandler and those guys. So it's sort of a weird, combination with there's quite a bit of talent there there's Tyson Chandler who was the center from you know the champion Mavs would be the, the defensive player of the year so you know they did have that mix but it, it was definitely the, the the point guard was was the biggest hole on the team and, and you know and then obviously he he fit that really well we would been doing the podcast uh we had met we met in Chicago everything we did as Knicks fans about the Disciples Club podcast was all done in Chicago and uh 
but obviously plugged into you know within the days of the internet it almost feels like it doesn't matter uh the um but yeah it was for me watching the beginning of that it was i actually the word insanity bugged me because as, as much as i liked him and obviously i like good things happening to the knicks i i liked jeremy lynn i didn't like insanity i'm like cool he's a really fun player he's interesting he gets others involved he's exciting Let's stop talking. I don't care that he's Asian. I don't care that he went to Harvard. I, I'm like, he's good. Let's let's watch him and enjoy this, and let's hopefully build something, and let's run more. Let's pick up the pace. So as a, I'm probably not alone that a lot of lifelong basketball fans, not just you know spectacle fans, probably weren't as high on quote unquote insanity as they were on Jeremy Lin the person. Yeah, but I, I think the human you story. brought up something. You brought up something that you can't discount about why this became something more than just normal sports story. Was I mean that that it was an Asian athlete doing it, which is uh, you know just added an element of, of unusualness and, and novelty to it. I mean, well, I, I live in Massachusetts, Dan, where we're we're very liberal and post-racial. So, <laughs> yeah, not, not Seattle though. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's total. Total conservative. There's actually someone playing a banjo behind Dan right now. <laughs> well, I, I'm in I'm in but, Columbus, Ohio, so that might actually be true. But <laughs> but still, I mean, I think that that what that added to. I mean, look, the the whole thing was this this like ongoing feeling of like of just can't believe this is really happening, and in in a good way, like in a, in a really positive, like joyful way, because and he was, was like living on Landry Field's couch because he was on a ten yeah. contract and didn't want to spend it, his. Per diem on a hotel, so he was living on Landry Field's couch. Like it was yeah. just such a fun thing. He was 22 years old doing all that, or three, whatever he was. Yeah, and you'd like to hope that the that you know more of it, you know, like more of like a, my my interest is peaked because this is this is does not meet my normal expectations. That you know, there's an an Asian guy tearing up the NBA, and not the negative side of that, which is like a you know, assuming stereotypes and some of the other and some of the other things that that you would you'd hope wasn't the majority of people who, who found the story interesting. I, I mean, I tend to agree with you, Ken, about the, why I enjoyed it was more from a, I like seeing this guy play basketball. And we all knew that this, he wasn't going to be putting up, you know, 28 and six, like the, you know, this was a, a strange run, but you could kind of say like, Hey, this guy can play, this guy can do, do some things. You know, what if we had a, an interesting point guard to pair up with, with Chandler and, and Carmelo and, and Amari and, you know, yeah, actually like, have ourselves a team that would, that would be, that would be fun. You know, he doesn't have to put 20, he doesn't have to do 28 and six. How about, uh, you know, 12 and eight, that'd be great. Like we haven't had, we didn't even have that. So, yeah, right. you know, and somebody who's like looking to get other people involved and can, can get to the basket and create that disruption that can, that can push the pace the way that D'Antoni, that D'Antoni would want. Like we all, we all wanted that promise to be true, even though, you know, if we're, we were being honest with ourselves, we, we knew that that wasn't going to, totally work with with Carmelo. I mean, he's, he plays a certain way. Not that he should. I mean, he's so skilled, and I've come to realize this. I'm not entirely happy with how the Carmelo Anthony era has gone. How could you? One, you know, one good season, basically. But he's so skilled, he could play any style. If you stuck him on Houston right now with other good players and everything, he would fit in. If you stuck him on any of the good teams, Cleveland, LA Clippers, that they talked well, about if... theoretically, he's he can shoot, he can pass, he can rebound, he can defend enough as a, as a combo forward. He could do anything, and that's a little disappointing. That, yeah, we got a good point guard who can run. Let's let's run. Come on. Yeah, let's, but he like, 
he didn't want to. I mean, I think that's he didn't want to. He should. He'd be a much better player. He there's a lot of stuff like you, like like Olympic Carmelo Anthony plays different than NBA Carmelo Anthony. So you know he's got like the ability to do different stuff. But when it came down he's to a great basketball player, he could do much more than he's actually doing, and he knows better that's, than that's stopping the ball. That's what's disappointing. Jump at any time here, Jason. Dan and I will do this all day. <laughs> that's all right. That's true. <laughs> no, I, you know, what's interesting is about this, and I, I definitely agree with what you're saying, but the the mellow reputation at the time it was, you know, a little bit cast as a villain for, you know, um, you, once Lynn left, we're dripping ahead a little bit, but but why not? Um, that he, uh, you know, called it like crazy or ridiculous, I think was the word he used. And it was definitely clear that, you know, he, he didn't seem to particularly like playing that much with Lynn and maybe some resentment over the fact that he was, you know, getting all this attention or, or whatever. Um, and looking at how, re- you know, Melo's reputation now five years later as basically the victim of all this Nick's ineptitude and like, you know, basically the, the front office, like trying to get him to go and, you know, him battling back and also his, um, you know, recent um, prominent embrace of social activism has kind of changed like, at least the perception of him as a person, maybe not so much as a player, but it's interesting how, you know, five years later, I, I think a lot of us, you know, um, think differently about Cormelo Anthony than maybe we did at the time. Yeah, I mean, he, he didn't do himself any favors at the time by, like, kind of giving him, you know, like, basically, you know, pouting a little bit that somebody else was getting attention. like that. Do we actually know that he did that? I mean, yeah, that, NBA... that, that happened. I mean, like, there was body language. There was all kinds of, like, the, the stuff he said, the statements were kind of, had some passive aggressiveness to it. Like, I, I remember all that. Well, I mean, if you imagine yourself as him, and I'm going to defend him for a second. If he, and then, you, Dan, you can make your point, you know, off off, off the show later. Whatever you were going to say that I interrupted. I'm kidding. The, uh, <laughs> I would say that it's kind of annoying. Say you're in this media scrum, you know, getting assaulted by all these reporters asking you the exact same question. What do you think of Jeremy Lin? You answer it. Another the guy, what do you think of Jeremy Lin? And you answer it. And then, hey, this Jeremy Lin guy, what do you think? It's like, I don't know that he actually was jealous. I mean, he was making 150,000 times more that money than Jeremy Lin was. He was on a long-term contract. Jeremy Lin was still on 10-day contracts. Like, I don't know that he was actually the villain here. I know stylistically he likes to hold the ball more, and Jeremy Lin was a guy who liked to play off the pick and roll and create. I've never been convinced that that just wasn't a media narrative. Uh, I've never seen the exact quote or him saying, you know, maybe he did a little side eye at the situation. And later on when Jeremy got that offer sheet from Houston, Carmelo made a little comment. I still don't, I don't know that he was the villain here, behind the scenes or otherwise. Well, I mean, villain's probably too strong. I mean, but I, I don't think that he did himself any favors. To, like he, which he's had problems with his whole career. He, he yeah. you know. And he Dan Tony to... did quit. I, as, soon, as I was making my little speech there, I remember Dan Tony did quit once Melo came back. So something happened. Um, so it's. Uh... Yeah. Like he's, I mean, you know, he's got a reputation for being a bit of a, I don't know, like, a, you know, a, a diva, I guess. And, you know, it's. Some of it, some of it's probably unfair. Some of it's probably fair. I mean, the thing is, it's interesting that Jason says like that narrative of like, is Carmelo the victim of Nick's ineptitude? Yes. Yes. Is Car- does Carmelo create his own problems sometimes? Also, yep. yes. Like that's, you know, like they they could have had better better outcomes over the years if he ever you know like really altered his style to, to like like you know he kind of, which he kind of did last year you know for stretches playing with Porzingis. Uh, 
you know, like he was, he was, you know, had more assists than he's had, you know, like I think like ever. He's a terrific. Uh, I mean, every every aspect of basketball. Yeah, obviously he's not a lockdown defender, but every other aspect of the game, uh, he's really terrific at, and in a pinch could do any every part that's needed it, in a given situation. That's what's a little disappointing. That, well, you know, it's also that he wants to carry himself like a LeBron or or a Wade, you know, like his draft class, except that you know. LeBron James teams and Dwayne Wade teams, even when when Dwayne Wade was was full of himself, don't miss the playoffs. And Carmelo yeah. teams did a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's has to do with style, has to do with uh, you know willingness to to play you know a certain way. And and you know so Carmelo wanted all you know wanted the adulation and wanted the like to be treated like the, like the guy that the one guy that was going to make the difference to to winning. And he never has been, unfortunately. And for there's, there's a, a myriad of reasons for that. Some of which is, you know, his own instinct to, you know, he'll play any style, but when it comes down to it, he wants the ball in his hand. He wants isolation. Like mm-hmm. if it's, if it's, if it's pressure, if it's crunch time, if it's a big opponent, like that's, everything's going back. Like that's what he wants. And that's what happens. And then he, in those same situations, you know, defends sporadically, rebounds sporadically, and then you end up with a guy who, you know, scores a relatively inefficient 25 points with not enough rebounds and not enough assists. And that's that's Carmelo. And that's why I drink. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, going going back to, um, you know, how Lynn handled the situation, I, I think is interesting uh, to me, you know, reading back some of the articles and uh, some of the stuff has been written both at the time and then later on. I, it must have. It's hard to imagine how much of a challenge it must have been for him to emerge at this level of sensation just as he's trying to figure out how to play in the NBA. Because, you know, as you mentioned, he doesn't have a whole lot of NBA experience. He played a little bit previously with the uh, Warriors uh, the previous uh, two seasons, I believe. And he had spent a little bit of time in the D-League and had a couple of games with the Knicks. But... He had very little time in the NBA itself. And I mean, imagine the spotlight that you're getting, you know, you're not only are you, you know, the biggest story in the, you know, in, in the biggest market, you're, you know, you're on the, you know, I, I remember seeing him just on the regular, you know, morning news, uh, the national morning news of, you know, what's going on at, at the peak of this. And uh, imagine trying to figure out the NBA while you handle that. I mean, it's amazing that he really did as well, uh, you know, as he did and he, and he, um, you know, really came through that, I think, in an admirable way. Well, I, it, yeah. Go on, Dad, please. I was, I was going to agree with you. I think that that was another, especially during that, like, two-week stretch when he, when it was all going on, you know, there was, you know, he had this, like, you know, funny story about, you know, living on a teammate's couch and kind of this, you know, like like, like rags to riches kind of kind of thing. And he seemed to handle it, like, you know, he, he was, you know, relatively humble about it, relatively, you know, like, uh, self-aware about it, which... Which was endearing. So, and you know, it, it didn't. It didn't seem to to get to to get. To, you know, he didn't like. I don't think he carried himself over the next few seasons like more of a big shot or something like that than than he than was warranted. I think he had some bad luck with injuries and whatnot. It was, it was probably more of his problem. Um, but yeah, I think I think that was like another cool cool part of the story. It was just like this guy. Yeah, this, I mean, this guy was like was, was, he was endearing about it. He was much closer to a normal. Obviously, he had an Ivy League, Ivy League education and came from a decently well-off family. But he uh, that he he really was more like the average twenty-two-year-old trying to find himself, trying to figure out what he's doing, sleeping on buddies' couches and uh, sleeping on his brother's couch, uh, and like you know, 
everyone else had come up through this star system that he just wasn't privy to. Uh, and if there's actually a, a, uh, a really good movie I saw on Netflix, uh, you could probably see it a bunch of other places called Linsanity that was made by this filmmaker who had been following and interviewing him for years when he was at Harvard and after, and there's actually cameras rolling. Like when he's on his 10 day contract, leaving, you know, getting cut from golden state, getting cut from Houston, they're asking what's going on. Are you worried that you're, you're going to have a career? And he was genuinely facing this precipice. Is he going to ever have his NBA career? Is he going to probably, I'm guessing in his mind, he knew he could go to China in any, any, at any time and have a real career and make a living. But he obviously didn't want to do that. He wanted to get this NBA dream and just never got the chance because he was undrafted and other things. He was on a team that had Stephen Curry in it and other stuff like that. So he really was just a guy who was really trying to find himself. I was always very impressed. He handled it very with a lot of humility. He was religious, so uh, he he felt the need to – I, I believe he was a born again Christian, but whatever he was a he's a very religious whatever whatever it is. I don't want to speak label label things that I can't quite remember. But I thought he, he you know he he felt the need to push that and always mention that. And uh, you know I, I I thought he was came across as a great guy, and he's given no indication in the years since with all the money and and the fame and adversity that he's anything other than a great guy. So I th- that was part of it. He was just such a humble, likable kid, and. Uh, you were happy for him as a human being. So it really, if you do really check out that movie, Linsanity from 2013, though, it really shows a lot of inside access. You really get a sense of what he was feeling at the time because they were filming. Going through a little bit of the uh, key points of, of Linsanity, even though, yeah, I, I agree with the, uh, the the Linsanity term is a little bit, um, I, it's not my, my favorite term either, but. Well, he obviously embraced it. He trademarked it. Yeah, and everything well, else, although so. he he did. He, although after he, he later was kind of said, you know, I don't really like that term as much either. He he kind of didn't, even though he did yeah. uh, trademark at the time. He was he sort of backed well, off it's it, smart. It I a mean, little bit. But, you don't yeah. want other people making money. It's your name, you know. Let right. you, if anyone's going to make money off it, you better. So it was smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so he um, he was named Eastern Conference Player of the Week uh, in his uh, f- first week after that uh, we talked about with the Nets and the Jazz and a couple other great performances is that 38-point uh, performance versus the Lakers. Uh, then um, on a Valentine's Day 2012, he had a, a game-winning three against the Raptors, um, which was maybe one of the peak moments as well of um, mm-hmm. uh, of his run. He, uh, at the at that point, was the first NBA player to have at least 20 points and seven assists in, in each of his first five starts, and also, I believe, had the most points in his first five starts since Allen Iverson. Uh, also had the most turnovers in NBA history in his first seven starts, uh, dating, dating back to 78. That, that was maybe the one uh, issue that he, uh, or one of the issues that he uh, had even during that time. Um, and then, uh, the streak ends with, uh, right before the, uh, all-star break, uh, with the loss to the New Orleans Hornets, they were still the Hornets then, um, and, but he still has some strong performances against the, uh, Mavs during that time, 28 and 14 with five steals. And then, um, Carmelo Anthony returns on, uh, February 20th. And, uh, three days later is the infamous heat game, uh, where, uh, Lynn goes one for 11 and eight turnovers and the, uh, heat absolutely at the, you know, basically the peak of their powers as they're going to win the championship that year. Um, absolutely hound him. And uh, it, it's sort of the first uh, real, uh, you know, bad game that he has kind of during that stretch. Yeah. And that heat game was like, I mean, the turnovers, I, I, I remember this at the time too. Like the, you knew that this was 
not going to last. You knew that this wasn't wasn't the heralding of I don't know, but like you know, the next perfectly great player. It was just you know, you, know, you knew eventually he was going to come to, come you know come back to earth a little bit. Uh, the Heat game, just uh, you know, I think it like you knew he was going to come back to earth, and you just you just didn't expect it to be like that hard, like that of a fall, like because that game was brutal, and uh, it it that made you really question, like okay. Is it was it was this actually is this actually somebody that can that can sustain this league if uh, when the pressure's on like that he just you know can't do anything you know so like that was that was like I think it you know it went past just like okay well we know he's not going to do twenty eight and six but now you're like geez can he do anything you know because like look, the, the the old adage about like why you know the guy you see at the, like in you know at the park or the gym, you know, the YMCA or whatever, that that's really, really good at basketball. Couldn't even get their shot off in the NBA. Like, yeah, that, like that's, that's the difference. Right. And now you had this guy that like, you know, he was doing all these amazing things and now it's like, Oh, now he can't even get him a shot off. Like, is he, is he, well, that like, was one game. I mean, the, yeah, I know. So it's, and then he got hurt. That's the problem. Like a couple, like a week or so late. I'm sure Jason has the exact, the exact timeline, but he didn't get a chance to, to play in the playoffs. He didn't get a chance to, to kind of keep going and, and uh, he did have some good games after that. It wasn't just like, okay, they, they got some tape on him and, and now it was over. He did have some good games after that. Uh, people did have tape on him and they started not letting him go right-handed as much as he would like to and other things like that. But I, I, I think that I, I, I said before, like I'm always skeptic of step skeptic, skeptical. No, you know, the word I'm speaking. of. <laughs> Step no, I I I never like to assume that the narrative, the zeitgeist that the media is talking about, is actually what's going on, uh, and because, you know, who knows? But like, if you just look at it in logical terms, you had the the the, the team that had lost the finals was about to win the first of two titles. Its particular strength was two six, you know, uh, was two of the best perimeter defenders on the planet at the time. Uh, who are good at trapping guards who are and disrupting what they're going to do with a very good coach. And, and so that happened. Does that have to be some watershed moment? It was a tough night. I mean, that, like I said, I, I look at, I look with side eye at these media narratives a lot of the time. It was a tough night for a rookie. Yeah. And that's, that's fair. That's like, fair. Full stop. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's fair. I, it's just, I, you know, I just, you know, if you're thinking about like what you were feeling in the moment, like that, definitely Oh, it was, was certainly deflating. Like because, that was a pain in the balloon, yeah. right? So, uh, like, and we always tried this when we, when we were doing the show. It was like, okay, let, let, let's try to get past some of the like the media narrative. Let's get like get into what's actually happening here. Let's like get past the emotion and think about this stuff logically. And you know, like logically, yes, that's a having a bad night against LeBron, LeBron James, and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh is not the worst thing that can ever happen to somebody in the NBA. Like that's yeah. gonna happen. They're they're really good. Like so, yeah. And then the you know the the issue was just that. Uh, you know, even the even the good games after that, like the turnovers were starting to become a problem, and uh, they were starting to figure them out a little bit. And that like, so the the turnovers that you were starting to see more of, even during during the good stretch, now you're seeing like, all right, like this, th- there's more issues here than we're than, than we were hoping for. It and probably think, became clear then that okay, he's what his destiny isn't going to be a first team All NBA guy. It's probably going to be a very good role player. You know. Mm-hmm. Which is nothing to sneeze at, especially when you're coming from almost nowhere like he was. But I think even by the end of the year, it wasn't that, which is why obviously the Knicks didn't match that offer he got from Houston, is we're not sure he's going to be an all-NBA guy, 
even though it it appears you know it was once he was in it was I don't think any reasonable basketball fans were thinking he stinks he's going to be playing in Europe next year I think no, it was pretty no. clear to everyone he was good it was just a matter of how good and towards the end of that run even before he got hurt obviously there was some coaching turmoil there uh, because you switched coaches right in the middle of this run to to, to Mike Woodson like the um, you know. I guess his destiny was probably more clear, which is what it actually has turned into, which is it's a pretty good player to have on your team. If you need some points, he's going to get them for you. He probably can't. He can't be the guy, you know, for a lot of reasons, for his physicality, for his defense, other things. Uh, he can be shut down with some scheme sometimes. But so at that, it, it was obviously the there was a if you want to say it was that heat game, it was or the injury or the fact that it, he, he was just gone the next year. Something pricked that balloon, of course. Yeah. And I think, like I said, like from a logical basketball standpoint, like I don't think anybody was, was was upset from that standpoint that the Knicks didn't match that offer. Like it would have been crazy to overpay a guy that was just going to ultimately be like, you know, a, a, a decent player. To yeah. have I, 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 I obviously agree. The the fact that it was a twenty five million dollar total contract, which is obviously it's not a lot of money for Dan, but it's a lot of money for me. And the. The idea is, is that, um, you know, think about that. I, I say bad NBA contracts are, you know, six years, $150 million. Uh, I'm not so sure DeMar DeRozan is not a bad contract. You know, the Kings traded DeMarcus Cousins because they don't want him to have a $200 million contract. $25 million over three years, even if the math said one year was a balloon payment of $15 million, in the NBA, even in 2012, is not a big deal. That's why I was upset about it. He's young. He's something. He's valuable. You know, I'd, I'd rather have him than Raymond Felton. So, uh, yeah, and that that was gonna be my, my other side argument, which is also like, like, how come we can't keep nice things? Like, that, <laughs> like, like that was just sort of like a, you know, like we had so little to feel good about for you know the last sixteen years. Like the few times that we did, it doesn't like it never seemed to last. And this was just another thing where it's like you know we had something that was you know organic and that was you know like somewhat pure and you know it got taken away and you know it just, went away did it get taken it, away it went away yeah it, well, i'm not even sure yeah so let, let's assume for a moment that they did keep him and that he has was roughly the player that he's been for the past five years could he have like stayed in new york under the shadow of that linsanity phenomenon do you think that would have worked or would that That's have just been kind of like a reminder of like disappointment um you know that he would never be that you know that level of player again well he wouldn't have been well, enough i mean even for that team the next year that was it was really good they certainly didn't need a guy who dominated the ball uh they were they were really good for the opposite reason you know that they didn't they didn't give it to somebody to dominate the ball uh and so I'm sure he, it probably wouldn't have worked long term. But if you're just looking at sort of asset collection and stuff like that, it, it, I think it still would have been smarter. But it probably wouldn't have worked. Uh, he would have worked, but I'm not sure the situation because, you know, it would have gone downhill eventually and he would have just it, been cap fodder yeah. maybe. Who knows? It would have depended on how he played. Like it, I think I think they could have they could have gone up. They could have been OK with it if the team was winning and he was playing pretty well like and, and you know with, with an occasional like throwback 28 and 6 game thrown in there like cuz that that probably could have happened it's you know not out of, not out of the realm of possibility I, you know i don't know for for sure if those pieces all work together you know but, but let's say let's 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 say 
they had, you know, they could have been a decent team. They, you know, probably not good enough to to beat the Heat in that era. But let's say they, you know, if they were winning more than they were losing, and and he was playing well, and you know, had had some occasional good games, it totally could have worked. It just would have been like where it wouldn't have worked is if they were still losing, and more often than not, he was putting up you know, poor performances and not getting along well with Car- with Carmelo Anthony and feuding because they both want to dominate the ball. Like, that. that's where it wouldn't have worked. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, winning cures a lot. And if they were winning, anything could have worked. Yeah. I'm not sure they would have. That's the uh Well, I'm not sure about either, but it's not, it's not, it wasn't impossible to think that with the, yeah. the talent that they had, that they, they, they could have, they could have maybe figured something out. Uh, that's right. I mean, I, I just in think in New York, those expectations would have been high. I mean, they were, you know, they were high anyway when he went to Houston. He got cut off at the knees there because they got James Harden, who right. does everything he does, only much, much better. Sure, sure. And so, going to L.A. didn't wasn't a great situation for him either, you know, with Kobe there. So, yeah, he, he yeah, that was kind of a bad um a bad mix. It's funny that D'Antoni, you know, went to the Lakers and the Rockets in opposite. And then just, they both missed each other. Like they both kind of like, it felt like they were destined to, you know, reunite at some point. Maybe they still will at some point, but, um, they, they, they were both on the same teams, but just, just barely miss each other in those stops. So it's a uh, funny how that, that sort of thing works. Yeah. So like when, like when Houston flames out of the playoffs this year and D'Antoni's coaching the Nets next year. <laughs> yeah, like there you go. <laughs> um, so, uh, as you guys alluded to, you know, at, right after that Miami loss, they did have one win against Cleveland, but then they have a six-game losing streak, and uh, and then D'Antoni uh, resigns from the team, and uh, and Mike Woodson becomes the uh, coach. And it, I, I'd forgotten about this, but uh, apparently early on in the season when the uh, Knicks were struggling before uh, Lynn came along, uh, there were actually we want Woodson a chance uh, from uh, some of the uh, fans wanting uh, to fire Mike D'Antoni in, 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 in front of uh, Mike Woodson. Speaking of reputations that have changed drastically in five years, yeah. you know, Mike D'Antoni <laughs> uh, certainly has been restored during that time. And Mike, Mike Woodson's not quite as much. It goes to show you don't know anything, do you? I mean, like about whatever the narrative. Uh, I'm against narratives tonight, I guess. But like, you know, the fans will be chanting for this thing one day. They'll be chanting for the rookie to come in. Once he becomes a, a a guy who's in the rotation or in the rotation, they hate him. You know, in football, they always love the backup quarterback. It's just like the, the mob knows nothing. I think that's what we maybe have learned here. The mob yeah. is dumb. Yes, because because it's funny. The, the the year that Woodson was had a really good like had the best year with the Knicks was like he was forced to play a style that he doesn't like because of because of injuries and it worked. And then and they blew it up. And then right he didn't. When they had the he, 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 and then he didn't go back to it. Like yeah. s- somehow he he determined that uh, like he didn't learn from it, which is that like that part always is, is always baffling. Like when someone can't see the the, the thing that like literally everybody else can see, mm-hmm. and it's like pu- it's it, it, publicly like everyone is like, hey, you're winning because of this, and he's like, no, 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 I'm not. Like I, like how how is that possible? Like I, it's I like everyone I, knows Carmelo play Carmelo power forward stretch four have an athletic rim running center. Let's go, you know, have a bunch of other people that move the ball and hit shots. Let's let's go do this. That's that's how you do it. And nope, now let's not do that. Let's let's do other things. It's, so. al- it's almost like people have uh, trouble accepting facts that go against their preconceived notions. I think, yeah, we're, I think we're break, we've broken that story. I think. That, <laughs> yes. <laughs> all the psychology journals. I think we've broken the story. Of the human so uh, there's. Um, I, 
you know, as, as we talked about after um, after Woodson comes in, um, you know, Lynn still plays, but his, his play time is reduced a little bit. He has some good, still has some good games during that stretch, and then um, deals with the knee injury that puts him out for the season. Um, he's unable to come back for the uh, playoffs, and um, and then you know the the team chooses not to um, uh, bring him back, and we've kind of getting gotten to our feelings about that, but. Yeah, I remember an interesting Tyson Chandler quote, um, and I think it may have been the next season, and, and I couldn't quite find it, but it had something to the effect of that, you know, it, it was a really fun run, you know, with uh, Jeremy Lin, but there was something about it that didn't feel lasting to him. Like, it was something where, it, you know, it felt fleeting, like it felt like it was just you know, almost too good to be true. And, and I wonder, you know, I, I would probably trust the instincts of a player to know that better than me as an observer to understand that. But I, I you know, I wonder what the difference between that is versus the, you know, Mike Woodson, you know, going, not wanting to go against his preconceived notions and, you know, playing big in the playoffs instead of going with what works. Like that, that's a really fine line for me that I find, you know, like an interesting idea. Yeah, it's interesting to to have a you know, and I kind of I kind of remember what you were saying too, like that that, that there was a that of Tyson Chandler saying that, yeah, like I I wonder what the the players were thinking at the time. Like, I mean, they might have saw him a little bit in practice, but they probably didn't see that much of him. So they were they almost seemed as surprised at the insanity run as as everybody else. And then you know, look, you go back in retrospect, like I think if he was thinking about it as like, okay, well, that was a fun little thing that happened. You, you know, you can. Maybe, maybe it's in his. Maybe it was in his head that it felt fleeting, or maybe like he, that's how he chooses to remember it, as opposed to like how, that's how he actually felt at the time, you know. So that that that's the only part of that where I'm like, I, I don't know if he, if his if his observation is any different than anybody else's. I mean, everyone has a tendency to like look look at the past with with you know different differently than than they they were actually looking feeling about it. Well, at the time. I mean, I'm curious. I, I mean, they had a good off season that year. I mean, obviously they let him go, but. They added a bunch of role players. They signed Jason Kidd. They brought in Rasheed Wallace. They had J.R. Smith. They brought back. They had a, they put together and they got Raymond Felton, which was an adequate move. I mean, they had a good off season, and then they went on and had a very good, entertaining season, the best in years. So uh, it, it obviously would have been easier, easiest to just dismiss. There was no one sitting around lamenting, why don't we have Jeremy Lin? If they had stunk that next year. Obviously, it would have been Jeremy Lin all the time. Other than that, it was just a footnote because they won 54 games. They were fun to watch. Uh, they fired the ball deep constantly. And, you know, they were filled with interesting veterans that had a lot of personality. So I want to talk a little bit about Disciples of Clyde. But if there's anything else that you guys would like to talk about regarding the insanity before we do that, uh, any final thoughts on that subject? Well, I... I do remember, actually, we were talking about, there was, I think it was Carmelo's first game back. He bowed on the court to Jeremy Lin. I don't know if anyone remembers this. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, did it once. Uh, I, I don't even, I didn't even see it mentioned. I'm assuming behind the scenes, because of all this stuff, the Asian, you know, like, uh, obviously there were jokes on Twitter about being Asian and everything. So I did want to point out that I did remember that. Like, Jeremy Min made a good play, and Carmelo bowed to him, which I don't even think is a Chinese thing. Um, <laughs> so there was that. Um, uh, I'm not sure what it's apropos of, but 
at least Carmelo didn't keep doing it. But I did remember it did happen once. So someone has to back me up on this okay. out there on Twitter. I'm sure our, our one of our listeners will. Uh, if you're wrong, I'm sure it'll get brought up for sure. But uh, right, yeah. yes. Ken Ken's memory is racist. It is. Ken's not, but his memory is very yes, right. Yes. Um, yes. I'm post-racial. My, my memory is not. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, so, um, as I mentioned, I you know was a, a huge fan of Disciples of Clyde uh, podcast. It got me through a lot of uh, long commutes uh, back in the day. I used to actually, uh, before I had... Uh, uh, you know, an iPod or anything. I used to burn it onto CDs and listen to the CDs on the uh, way to uh, on the way to work and back. So, um, God, wow. we're old. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was a late adopter, I think, to that. So, I so may not be quite that impressive, but. Um, <laughs> So, like, what do you guys remember about um, starting the podcast? You know, what was kind of your goal in, in doing it? And anything, you know, you want to uh, mention, uh, any experiences you want to talk about uh, of, of doing Disciples of Clyde? You know, I think, so, I mean, Ken and I met doing, uh, like, uh, doing sketch comedy stuff uh, in, in Chicago and found that we liked working together. And we, we had, at that point, when we, st- we had started the podcast, Cast it already. I think we had done at least one one play together, right, Ken? Um, um, no, but the, the situation was we were. Uh, oh shoot! Now I remember. It was the beginning of the two thousand seven eight season. Uh, yes, yeah, so we had done we had done one yeah. show and I mean, possibly yeah. two. And so anyway, so we, we it was uh, and we were actually big fans of the of the basketball Jones, you know, who were doing their podcast at the time. Uh, now that now the starters on TV, and we just like well. I almost remember it being like, well, why don't we do something like that? There's not, there's not that much of it. Why don't we just do it? And we would spend a lot of time just we, when we were supposed to, because we we, we were in sketch comedy shows, and then we wrote two plays by ourselves, uh, and we would invariably put the TV on, start watching. And Dan had a satellite dish or good cable package. We used to hang out at his place and record, and and uh, and uh, talk, and and we were writing. We'd invariably talk about basketball, and so at some point, it's just like, yeah, what what the hell? In you know, it's not like everyone back then had a podcast. So uh, the starter, the starters now, the Basketball Jones, they were doing what they would wake up at four in the morning every night. By the way, some guys who deserve every bit of success they've gotten. They were waking. Absolutely. They had other. They had like normal people day jobs, and they were waking up at dawn to go record every day and break down every game without having any rights or anything to play on their show. So, um, but they, so we did a different show, which was just conversation, goofing off, cracking jokes at each other, memory, you know. My uh, my idea of art is and not that the podcast is art, but is that at the time was it's not I don't need to know everything about the sport. I need to know how it made me feel and how it made Dan feel, how it made the listeners feel and portray something. And I think that's any any art. I was trying to explain art to my children, you know, staring at a painting. Oh, it's pretty. Well, how does it make you feel? And so if I'm talking about the 90s Knicks, which we used to do all the time, or if I'm talking about some big thing Michael Jordan did or whatever, it's how it made me feel. And that's how we we started talking. We were just talking, what do we find funny? What do we find interesting? And it was quite by accident. I mean, no one was listening for six, for most of that year, I would say. We got like one fan, you know, I don't know who the hell was listening. We did 30, 40 episodes before anyone started listening. And so, but it was all just about, entertaining ourselves making each other laugh and this is before anyone had thought everyone was doing that and so uh we were kind of inventing for ourselves not that anyone copied us but we were inventing a format for ourselves on on the fly 
Yeah, and I and I, the in terms of like what what kind of blew up our uh, our listener, which was a, a great opportunity for us, was we um, it was when the the first uh, Free Darko book came out, and we did a a review of it on the show, uh, and we and we didn't we didn't know them at the time. Like we just, I mean, I just read I was a fan of theirs, but I didn't I didn't know any of them. And we got the book, we read it, we did a review, and you know we said you know like some things, didn't like some things, like you know that did a normal thing that we would do and they heard that and they they liked it and uh they basically said like hey we, we were thinking about doing a podcast why don't we just partner up and do it with you and we said that sounds great why not and uh you know like so all of a sudden we had listeners yeah <laughs> yeah a, a lot a lot more because they were they, they were very popular at, deservedly so and uh so I, I, that was I, I i still find it amazing that people like listened to it and liked it i mean we put effort into it so like we we wanted it to be good and we were we were trying to you know like make it entertain like make it entertaining for someone else to listen to, but I, I yeah but to Ken's point like we weren't exactly like carefully scripting every single thing a lot of it was just okay we're gonna talk about these few things let's just have fun with it and, and do it so like the, the fact that there's people who like 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 yourself who burns it on a CD like I'm I'm blown away by that still thank you by the way yeah I mean yes. seriously <laughs> like uh, it was I mean Dan and I are working in uh you know we're not media people. Uh, each of us have private sector, quote unquote, jobs. We have secular jobs, I guess, for sports fans. And, you know, it was all for fun. That's all it ended up being, you know. And we had fun every time. It was, mm-hmm. you know, Dan's my friend. We talked about basketball. We made fun of each other. Move on, yeah. you know. I mean, the only reason we had to stop really was, uh, you know, we just got, got, you know, families and things that just got, got in the way of being able to. Put the you know as you know recording a podcast it takes takes some effort to actually record it and edit it and get it going and put it live and you know just the, the time the, the free time available because we made other jobs and things like that and families is like it just be, became more more of a time burden than we than we could we could handle plus then, we weren't watching the sport I mean that's also not like, as much yeah so we did it from and even even in our heyday when we were we didn't watch as much as you know I I've never understood. Obviously, we know a lot of people are, are trying to make a career of, of like the basketball Jones was back in the day. People make, trying to make a career of this. If that's not your career, I'm not sure you should be watching every game. You don't have to know about every player. And like we yeah. didn't, even when we, we wa- were really into it, we didn't. Yeah, I watched a lot. I mean, I, I did yeah. have league pass for a long time. Dan was single at the time. And so he would come home from a night of drinking yeah. and watch West Coast basketball. I, I, I would right around the time I met Dan, I met my wife a few months later. And so my life was different. Uh, I was never, but I was never one to sit and, you know, know everything. You know, I liked the Knicks and I would read all the articles. And as years went by, people, I mean, this was the years when the basketball internet really exploded, uh, not around us, but we were part of that, I guess. And all of a sudden you'd say anything and 15 people would email you and be on Twitter. No, you were wrong. Here's the advanced stats. Here's this. And that. And it's like, okay, sorry, I missed that one freaking thing. I was off having sex with my wife or whatever I was doing. Oh, crap, she just saw me say that. But, like, you know, it's like, you know, I was doing something to try to, she's looking at me, I was trying to get a reaction out of her. Yeah, I, I will tell you what. Uh, Speaking of side-eye. But yeah. Since I moved to the West Coast, that, like, uh, like my my wife and my kids go to bed relatively early. I could watch the, the same West Coast basketball games at like eight nine o'clock because I'm, yeah. I'm awake, but they're not on at eight nine o'clock here. They're, they're already done because I'm 
I, I live in the West Coast. Like living in Chicago, that was great. Like the, the West Coast yeah. games came on around eight, nine o'clock. I could, so I watched a ton of those. Those and I, and I can't do it anymore. That's kind of that's kind of a bummer. I think. Nor for, should you. For me. I mean, you know. Well, I, but I, I I like to. And I yeah, I to, get that. Occasionally, <laughs> I don't get not, to not all the time. That's the nah, that was always my point. It's like I I I'm not going to apologize for not having seen everything. And well, and and, and you know if. If we were going to do a show, though, if we were going to actually like be recording, if it was our job, of course, yeah. Or even just if we were going to keep doing that show, we I wouldn't have felt responsible doing it if we like both of us weren't really watching basketball anymore. Then it just becomes like why why are we wasting people's time? That was part of like I think why we 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 didn't exactly we kind of pittered out because we ran out of things to say and we weren't we simply weren't we weren't watching enough and talk we we there wasn't enough there to drive the show, yeah. which is why we we kind of had theoretical plans to talk about current events other things and maybe that'll still happen but like the you know uh we had a we had a time and then it ended and i'm, I'm glad people enjoyed it uh i still enjoy it too i mean i still interact with these people on twitter that listened to us almost 10 years ago and it's really and you you know jason you you're doing this awesome show and uh that it was right up my alley and i started listening to you, you a few months ago and that uh you know it's like you know who we are great that's so you know, great. We're all we're all of a sudden we already know all all these things about each other, and so, uh, you know, it was just a, it's a nice thing, and I'm glad I I have a nice memory about it. Like getting my microphone out and and doing this again. It's like it's fun. This is I feel very at home oh, right. Absolutely. I mean, I I had a I had a blast doing that show. I got to interview like we had to get interview some cool people like th- through it. You know, other people on the basketball internet and and other like you know media figure type people, and it was like. It, it, like again, for for a couple of guys that had no training background in it, and just to kind of the only thing that Ken and I were, were ever particularly good at was as partners saying, you know what, like you know, like like tons of people sit around and say, you know, we're we're gonna do something and we're gonna do this, we're gonna do that, and they never do. Like we we did, with, with, and that was what how the, the you know the, how the podcast was born and kept and kept going. And uh, so yeah, but, but just because a couple of guys had a little bit of uh, motivation to to have it be like what it was, that was it. It was awesome. I'm thrilled that I did it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, and like, I get we get an email from you, Jason. It's like, you know, oh, I just listen, listened to you five years ago, and now you're doing your own thing that's completely different, but somehow the same. It's like, that's awesome. That's just, it's just nice. It was, it's, it's, we did it for ourselves, but it's nice to be remembered at least by four or five people. And that's <laughs> yes. like, well, well, there, there was excitement for more people than that. I when um it, when I saw we, we mentioned that we were going to have you guys on, and, and there's some people who are really excited about it. So I, I think there may be more than that out there. Although the, you know, with the uh, <laughs> with, with the amount of time that it's been, you know, the five years is a long time or so. So everyone yeah. in the world, start clapping in unison, and like we'll gra- like violin music will play, and Dan and I will come out of our homes. And... <laughs> <There you go. laughs> Like we said, reputations change a lot in five years. So we, uh, you know, we'll, yeah, right. we'll see how the response is to this. But it's been a real treat for me for to have you guys here. And like I said, the the way you guys approach your podcast is, you know, there's a lot of lessons that I took in internalized in that, and have you know tried to make the conversations, you know, um, smart and thoughtful, but entertaining and. Um, avoiding, you know, t- too much of the narratives, you know, uh, acknowledging them, but you trying to go beyond them a bit. So, um, so I, I appreciate that. And I definitely appreciate you both uh, being on the show. Well, thank you, Jason. You know, I'd say what, whatever, why your show works, why I find it entertaining and I'm, I'm trying to work. And one of the things I, I listen to podcasts at work and I listen to what yours is one of the shows, be yourself. What are you interested in? That's true for everybody, you know? 
we 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 follow the person, not the thing they're saying necessarily. You know, because if for a character or a human being that you're following over episode or episode of a show or a blog or whatever it is, you know, so uh, or even on Twitter, just be yourself and have fun, and uh, then you don't have anything to apologize for. And I do, I really do like your show, so thank you for thinking of us in a in a nice way. Yeah, I, 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 I've had a lot of fun, so so thank you for having us on. Really, really appreciate it. All right. Well, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed the show, and you can find us at the step back at fansided.com. You can also uh, leave a review or a rating for us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at OberbackNBA. So thanks again for listening, and we're back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.